Praise the Lord. Thankful this morning for the privilege of worship, for the privilege of prayer. You know, um, God is so good, so gracious, so loving, so all-knowing and powerful that he chooses to listen to the prayer of my lips but also understands the cry of my heart. Let me tell you what I mean by that. A lot of times things happen in our lives that nobody else knows about. That nobody else, you, you deal with things you, that nobody else knows you're dealing with. And it's just between you and the Lord. And you come to a point after you've prayed and you've prayed and you've prayed and you've prayed and you've tried to be faithful and you've tried to continually trust in the Lord, you come to the point where you don't know what else to pray. You don't know what else to say. And I'm so thankful this morning that in those moments, Jesus himself makes intercession for us, the Bible says. I'm glad that he understands the petitions that are made with our lips. But even more so, I'm so very thankful he understands the cry of our heart. When we don't even know what we need or how to pray, he knows what we need, and he prays for us. The Bible says that in the book of Romans chapter 8. So I'm thankful this morning for the privilege of being able to cry out unto the Lord, just like that song said. I will cry out unto him, for I know he hears me. God is so good today. Take your Bibles, turn with me to Philippians chapter number 4. And I want to share with you two verses there, verse number 6. And if we have time, we'll also look at verse number 7. Um, the title of my message today is The Problem of Worry and the Power of Prayer. Now, let's read together Philippians chapter 4, the 6th verse. Listen to what it says. Be careful for nothing or worry about nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let the, your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. If you believe the word of God this morning, say amen. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. Again, thank you, Lord, for the great privilege of being able to preach your word. Lord, I can do nothing in and of myself, and I want to do nothing in my power. Lord, this morning, I want you to speak to me, speak through me, and use me for your honor and your glory. Have your way and will. Lord, we pray you do your work in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, all of us, to one degree or another, deal with the issue, the problem of worry. And I'm going to tell you something. Worry is a problem. It's a problem for you and it's a problem for me and we're not the only ones. Everybody, I believe, to one degree or another deals with worry. Now, the reason we deal with worry, the reason we fall into the trap of worry as the people of God is because we care very deeply about people, things, or situations. Would you agree with that? And, and I want you to know something. There's nothing wrong with caring about people. You ought to be caring about people. Um, that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. There's nothing wrong with caring about things that are in your life, the things that you possess or the things that you want to possess. No, nothing wrong with that. Those, those are all blessings of God. There's nothing wrong with caring about certain situations that have happened or happening or will happen. 
That's all a good thing. You ought to be caring. You ought to uh, be uh, wanting God's best in every, everything that's happening for you. I don't know about you, but I want the blessing that God has coming for me. Can you say amen? And you ought to want the same thing. Nothing wrong with wanting God's blessing. Nothing wrong with wanting things to go well. But there is something wrong when we choose not to trust God to be just exactly who he says he is. So what happens many times, listen, we begin to worry because we really care about things that are precious to us, people that are precious to us. Now, I never was a worrier much until I became a father. I, I, matter of fact, for years, I, I can remember my wife telling me, you, you don't worry enough. You probably need to worry a little bit more than what you do. I've just never been a big worrier. But when I had children, all of that changed. And the reason being, because the moment I held them babies in my arms, I instantly fell in love with those kids. And from that moment on, I realized the great blessing God had given me but I also realized the great responsibility God had given me. And I began to worry about my shortcomings as a man and as a father. And I began to worry about their future and what was going to happen to them. And the truth is, I'm tempted to do the same continually, not just when they were little, but even right now as they've gotten a whole lot bigger. I actually thought, you know, once they grow a little bit and once they get a little bit grown, then I'm not going to worry as much. But that's not true. I still worry. Why? Because I love them so stinking much. And I fall into the trap of worry, and if we're not carry, careful, that worry can become a big problem for each and every one of us. And that's why the, the Bible says there in Philippians 4 and 6, be careful for nothing. Or really what he's saying is, don't worry about anything, but pray about everything. That's my commentary for Philippians 4 and 6. Don't worry about anything, but pray about everything. Because when you choose not to worry and you make the choice to pray, then you're putting the ball in God's court. Can you say amen? <laughs> and he can play a whole lot better than I can. He can handle what I can't handle. He can do what I can't do. And so worry happens because a lot of times we just care about folks. We care about Situations, we want what's best in every area of our life. We worry about things we, uh, we care about deeply, but we also worry about things that affect us directly. Would you agree with that? Let, let me give you a, a for instance. Just this past week, we bought a lot of groceries. I'm sure that you have too. Now, I don't know about you, but I've come to realize inflation has gotten so high Every trip to the grocery store is like an all-out assault on my billfold. I mean, it's amazing the prices of things and how they've went up. Now, if you're not careful, you can be tempted to worry about what tomorrow holds for you and yours. And that worry will burden you to the point that you'll be no good to the kingdom. Worry is a very big problem. Worry makes you sick. As a matter of fact, my grandma used to have a saying. She'd always say, now don't worry yourself sick. I can tell you, you can worry yourself sick. Worry will make you sick emotionally. Worry will make you sick psychologically. Listen, worry will certainly make you sick physically. 
Keep your place there in Philippians chapter 4 and flip over to Proverbs chapter number 12 and look at verse number 25. Brothers, if you will, please put that on the screen for me. Now, watch what this says. Heaviness in the heart of a man maketh it stoop, but a good word maketh it glad. Now, that's the old King James. I want to read that same verse to you in the Amplified Version. Listen what the Amplified Bible says concerning Proverbs 12, 25. Anxiety or worry and a man's heart weighs it down, but an encouraging word makes it glad. Now, when the Bible says the word heart there, it certainly is talking about the physical heart. So, a cardiologist tell us, that um, stress and worry can be just as bad, if not worse, than a poor diet when it comes to a heart condition. You can worry yourself sick and cause heaviness upon your heart physically. But he's not just talking about physical sickness or pain that comes from worry, but I believe he's also talking about emotional and psychological pain that too comes from worry. Worry... Is a problem. If you don't believe me, go to the drugstore. There are whole aisles dedicated to stomach medicine. And most of the reason that people have stomach problems because they're worried about all of these different things and people and situations that they care about deeply in their life. Worry is our problem. Would you agree? Worry will make you sick and drive you crazy. That's why the Bible says, don't worry about anything. And the reason you shouldn't worry about anything is because you can pray about everything. You can take the burden off you and cast it upon the Lord. Why is that so important? Because his shoulders are bigger than mine. When the burdens get too heavy for me, they're never too heavy for him. That's why the Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 5, and verse number 7, that we are to cast our care upon the Lord, for he cares for us. To cast our care is to cast our worry, our anxiety, our burden. Put that on him. And the good news is, he's ready to take it as a loving heavenly father. Now, I don't know how far we'll get this morning in this message. I'm going to talk about first the problem of worry, and if we can, we're going to get to the power of prayer. And if not, we'll just split it up into two and do one this week and maybe one next week. But I want to give you two problems with worry. Number one, worry hinders your worship. A great deal worry hinders your worship. Let me tell you what I mean by that. How many of you know to truly worship God, you have to have a right view of who God is? You have to see God for who He is. You have to realize there has to be revelation given to you as to who God is if you're rightly, effectively going to worship. Now, the, the God that we worship is the God of the Bible. And if we want to know who God is, we need to look no further than what the Bible says concerning God. If you believe that, say amen. The Bible tells us who God is. The Bible tells us who we are. The Bible then tells us who we can be through the a right relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us what we need to know about God, about us, and about life. The Bible 
is our roadmap for the journey that we're on throughout this world. Our, the, the Bible is our standard for what's right and what's wrong. The Bible gives us truth concerning God and his statutes that Brother Roy spoke about this morning before Sunday school. So we look to the Bible to find out who God is. So who is he? Well, the Bible says in Isaiah chapter number 6. I'm not going to flip over there this morning, uh, but I want, want you to do that in your quiet time. Go to Isaiah chapter 6 and make that um, your quiet time study at least one day, and I promise you it will bless your soul. But in Isaiah chapter 6, God gives Isaiah a great gift. He gives him a vision of the throne room of God. And the, when Isaiah sees God, the Bible says that the Lord was sitting on a throne, high and lifted up. I love that. And what that means is, in relationship to all things, God is high. But in relationship to high things, God is lifted up. And so really what the Bible is telling us in Isaiah chapter 6 is that God is in a class all by himself. There's no one or nothing on God's level. He's high, and praise God, he's lifted up. If you believe it, say amen. And the Bible says then that Isaiah heard what the angels were singing as they were there in the throne room of God. What they have been singing in eternity past. What they are singing in eternity present. And what they will always be singing in eternity future. They were singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Now to understand just how powerful that is, you've got to understand just a little bit about the Jewish language. In the Jewish language in which that was written in the book of Isaiah, they didn't have a way of saying, something was more holy. I mean, if we say something's holy, but we want to emphasize something is more holy than that which is holy, we would say it's holier, right? If we want to say that something is more holy than that which is holier, then we would say it's holiest. In the Jewish language, there's not a way of doing that. So what they are saying is, God is not just holy, he's holy, holy. He's not just holier, he is the holiest. He's holy, holy, holy. God is holy. What does it mean that God is holy? I'm going to try my best to explain it to you according to what God's word tells us. When we say God is holy, really what we're saying is that God is righteous. Now you know the meaning of righteous just by saying the word. To say God is righteous means that God does what's right according to his standard. Now let me tell you something. If you've got a problem with God's standard, then you've got a very big problem. Until you can create your universe, you better go by God's standard. God does everything right according to his standard, not mine. God does everything right according to his plan and purpose, not mine. Now why does his plan, his purpose, and his standard matter? Because he's the God of the universe. Amen? He's sovereign. He's in control of it all. God is righteous. Let me tell you what else the Bible says. The Bible says that God is just in all his dealings. The Bible says that God is perfect in all his ways. So when we say God is holy, really what we're saying is God is righteous. God is, listen to me now, um, he is uh, just and he's perfect. I heard uh, just the end of a conversation just this past week. And there was a question asked in this conversation. It's a really good question. Maybe you have asked this question. 
Maybe you've heard it before. If you've not heard it, you probably will. What was asked was this. If God truly loves us, how can a God who loves us create hell and send people to it? Good question. Matter of fact, if you're asking that question, if you have asked it, I ain't mad at you. And let me tell y'all something. Don't be mad at people who ask that question. Let me tell you why I ain't mad about it. Because that tells me at least two things. First of all, these people who are asking that question are actually coming to grips with the fact that they will spend eternity somewhere. That's good. Let me tell you what else they're doing. Just by them asking that question, that lets me know at least they're thinking about the God who is eternal. And all of that is fantastic. They just haven't got to the place where they've understood the fullness of the gospel or the fullness of God's character because that's truly where the question lies. See, the truth is, everybody wants to think of God being love. And what's wrong with that? Ain't nothing wrong with it. Man, in a world full of darkness, I like some light. How about you? In a world full of hate and discontent, I like some love. God is love, and I'm glad he's love. And I'm here to tell you today that God loves you. I want you to know that you may think nobody loves you. You may not think your mama loves you, your daddy loves you. You may not think your wives or your kids love you. You may not think, listen, nobody loves you, but I can promise you this upon the authority of the word of God. God loves you with an unconditional, everlasting love. He's love, and he loves you. But now listen, the Bible says in 1 John, let me just give this to you because I want you to get these verses. 1 John chapter number 4, and look with me at, uh, let, let's just start about verse number 6, I believe. 1 John 4 and 6. We are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Verse 7, beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. Look at verse 8, watch. He that loveth not knoweth not God. For what? God is, everybody say it with me, love. Say it again. God is love. God is love. So people are right in saying, God loves us. God is love. Now listen to me now. That's not the full extent of his character. That's where people get tripped up, I believe. Absolutely God is love. And I won't keep preaching that from the rooftops as long as the Lord allows me to. And you ought to do the same. But let me tell you what else. God is holy. And by being holy, that means God is righteous. God is just in all his dealings. God is perfect in all his ways. A God who is holy and therefore just must be a God who deals with wrong. A God who is holy must be a God who punishes sin. So how do we reconcile? How did God reconcile these two aspects of his character? Think about this. How, 
does he do it? How does God remain holy, righteous, just, and perfect, but at the same time show love to sinners who stand in need of condemnation because of their sin? How does God reconcile these two aspects? I'll tell you how. It's through the cross. It's in the cross that God remained holy, being just, righteous, and perfect, because he judged sin. Amen. But it's also through the cross, God showed love to us because, listen, he punished his son, not for his wrong, but for ours. For God so loved, he gave his only begotten son. So listen to me, folks. Anybody who goes to hell goes there trampling underfoot the blood of the Son of God. That's what the Bible says in the book of Hebrews. Anybody who chooses to reject Jesus chooses to take the punishment for their sin that's already been paid for at the cross. Because the Bible says all who trust in Christ, can, listen to me now, can be washed clean of their sin by His precious shed blood. And that happens by grace through faith. Are you getting me? God has made a way in His holiness and by His love for us to be in right relationship with Himself. That's who God is. Now, I had to run that little rabbit there, but I hope I caught it. Let's get back to where I was wanting to go. God is holy according to Isaiah 6. God is love, according to 1 John 4 and 8. Let me tell you what else God is. God is big. <laughs> He's big. Let me tell you how big He is. You have to look no further than the first verse of the Bible, Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. It was God who was triune in His nature that brought the heavens and the earth into existence. How did He do that? Because He's big. Because He is able to do all things. The Bible teaches that God is omnipotent. He has all power over all things. So I want you to know whether you uh, ascribe to the young earth theory of 6,000 years or you believe in an earth that's millions or billions of years old, wherever you land on that subject, listen, go back as far as you want to go. If you want to go back 6,000 years, go back there and drive your peg down. If you want to go back to millions of billions of years and drive your peg down there, go ahead and do that too. But when you get there, you're going to see there had to be a God that was there in the beginning. There had to be. How do we know that? We know that 
Because something outside of matter, space, and time had to create matter, space, and time. Why? Matter, space, and time cannot, will not create itself. God's big. The Bible says, through His spoken word, the heavens and the earth came into existence. Amazing. Never believe the lie of the enemy that somehow God is not who He used to be. Never believe the lie of the enemy that we don't today still serve the God of the Bible. Listen, the God I spoke to this morning is still the star-breathing, dead-raising, sea-splitting God that we read about in the pages of Scripture. He has not changed. He cannot change. He will not change. God is so big and so powerful, His creation is still happening Even after however long you want to go back, he spoke. Cosmologists tell us in in studying the cosmos, they figured out some very specific things that they know are happening that has been studied, studied by scientific processes. One of those things is what's called the cosmological constant. I love thinking about that. Let me tell you why. They figured out that the universe right now is still expanding. You've heard the the stories about the Hubble Space Telescope that's been right right now um, going through um, the the universe for, what, 30-something years now, I think, and then the the other telescope that we just started getting pictures back from uh, just uh, three or four weeks ago, maybe a month ago. I can't think of the name of that one, but we've spent millions upon billions of dollars sending these telescopes out into space so that they might see what all is out there. And the further they go, they just keep seeing More and more and more and more. How are they keeping, how is is that possible? How are they still seeing more and more and more and more? They've become to find out that the universe is still in creation. It's still going. Matter of fact, the universe itself, space itself is, is expanding at what's called the cosmological constant. It's expanding at just the right rate so that worlds and stars and solar systems and galaxies can form. But now, listen to me now. If it, was, if it was expanding any less, the gravitational pull would cause the universe to, to collapse upon itself. If it was expanding any more, the, the worlds and the stars and the galaxies and the solar systems, they wouldn't have time to actually form. And be created. It's happening just right. Why is it happening just right? Because a perfect God spoke in the beginning and brought into creation matter, space, and time. If you believe it, say amen. God is big. If we don't get a right view of who God is, We can't effectively worship Him. Worry hinders our worship because really what you're doing when you worry is you're saying this big God is not big enough to handle my problem. This big God is not big enough to handle my people. This big God is not big enough to handle my situation. Oh, folks. 
My God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we can ask or think. My God, who spoke the worlds into existence, whose heaven, whom the heavens are his throne and the earth is his footstool, he's still in control. My God, who breathed and stars came into existence. Listen to me now. He is still able to speak into your situation. In my situation. And to worry about these things to the point where it makes you sick is really you saying, God, I don't think you can do what you said you could do. Worry reveals a lack of faith. For you and for me. The Bible makes it plain in Psalm 55. Brothers, if you will, please put Psalm 55 up, and I'm going to read the first four verses. Then I'll skip down to verse number 22. Look at what David says. Now, you remember, my point was this, that worry hinders your worship. Well, the book of Psalms is the worship book of the Bible. Matter of fact, if you look at the beginning of Psalm 55 and of others, you're going to see that it was a psalm given to musicians. And it was given to musicians from David so that they might put music to this song he's going to sing before the Lord. It's a worship book. Now look, give ear to my prayer, O God, and hide not thyself from my supplication. Attend unto me and hear me. I mourn in my complaint and make a noise. Now watch what he says in verse 3. Because of the voice of my enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked, they cast iniquity upon me and wrath, they hate me. Verse 4, watch this. My heart is sore pained within me. Now watch this. And the terrors of death are fallen upon me. What is David describing? I think he's describing a fearful Worry that's gripped his life. Truth is, worry is just fear's ugly cousin. David is saying, because of what's happened to me, because of the enemies that have came against me, Lord, my heart is gripped with fear and worry. So here you have a man in a worship song just getting real before the Lord and saying, Lord, something's got to give because this fear and worry is completely wrecking my life. Look at verse 22. Cast thy burden upon the Lord and he shall sustain thee. I'm not going to read those verses in between, but I want you to. You're going to see he gives the reasons for why he's fearful. He gives the reasons for why he's worrying. And finally, it's just like he comes to himself. And gives us this great truth. He says, cast thy burden upon the Lord and he shall sustain thee. Folks, how many of you this morning can testify to the fact that when you cast your care upon the Lord, he sustains you? He keeps you. How many of you can testify to the fact that when the ways of this world are too too big for us, when they're over our head, they're under his feet? How many of you can testify to the fact That when you call upon the Lord, he chooses to listen. And yes, he even answers his children. Praise God. Cast thy burden upon the Lord and he shall sustain thee. He shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. 
What was happening at the beginning of Psalm 55 was really hindering the worship. What happens at the ending of Psalm 55 is worship taking place. Really what David does in this psalm and in many others, he goes from worry to worship. And ultimately, that's what, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul writes in Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Worry about nothing. Pray about everything. Don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. Go from worry to worship. Worry always hinders your worship. Let me give you the next one. Worry always hinders the work. Take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. And let's start at the 22nd verse. And he said unto his disciples. Now, somebody give me a quick definition for disciple. Follower of Jesus. Now, you who are here today who've placed your faith in Christ as Savior and Lord, you too are a follower of Jesus. Therefore, you are a disciple. Amen? Now, we know the original disciples is, is whom Jesus is speaking to then, but through the living word, he's speaking to modern-day disciples now. And so he's saying to his disciples, to all of us, Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat, neither for the body, what you shall put on. Now as a disciple, Jesus had given them some things to do. As a disciple, Jesus had sent them out to preach the gospel of the kingdom. As a disciple, Jesus was allowing them to be a part of what he's doing in the earth. Can you say amen? Do y'all know that's what we get to do too? We get to be a part of what God is doing in this earth. And so before he sends them out, he tells them, take no thought for your life, what you're going to eat, what you're, what you're going to put on your body, uh, what clothes you're going to wear. Look at verse 23. For the life is more than meat and the body is more than raiment. Let's go on. Consider the ravens, for, thy, for they, they neither sow nor reap, neither do they storehouse nor barn, and God feeds them. How much better are you than the fowls of the air? So according to what Jesus says, we are valued more than the birds. And if God will take care of the birds, does it not stand to reason that he'll also take care of us? And really what Jesus is saying is, I've given you a work to do. I, I, I want you to go out and, and do for me what I'm saying as your Lord to go do. And, and when you go, listen, don't allow worry to hinder the work. Because it will. Matter of fact, when you're so worried about you and yours, your things, your stuff, and everybody's got some stuff. Let me let, me let you in on something. Don't let Satan lie to you and, and get you to thinking either that you're the only one going through stuff because you're not. I mean, I know we don't like to admit it in settings like this. And here's where we put on the smile and our good clothes Everybody in here wants to act like we all got it figured out, but we ain't. We're all still learning. We're all still growing. We all still need grace each and every day. And if it wasn't for the mercy of God, we'd all be consumed. See, you got some stuff, join the crowd. We all do. Everybody does. Don't 
don't think you're alone. That's life. We live in a fallen creation. As long as we're here, there are going to be problems. Jesus said, if God the Father is able to care for the birds, are you not valued more than birds? Are you not? Look what else. Verse 25. And which of you, with taking thought, can add to his stature one cubit? So Jesus said, look, just because you worry about how tall you are and you want to grow, does that going to make you grow? I've, I've come to the realization that I'm never, I'm never going to uh, be six foot five and dunk a basketball. It ain't going to happen. Is it going to do me one bit of good to worry about it? Is that going to make me grow? That's what he's saying. Now, let's, let's go a little, little bit deeper into that, though. You know that psychiatrists tell us that most of what people worry themselves sick over are things they can do absolutely nothing about. And if you take inventory of your own thoughts and worries, you're going to find most of the stuff you're worrying about is stuff you can do absolutely nothing about. And a whole lot of the things we worry about never happen. And I think that's exactly what Jesus is saying. Why are you worrying about things you can't change? Why are you worrying about things that probably ain't never going to happen? He explains it further. Go to verse 26. And if, you be, and if then you be not able to do that which is least, why take ye thought for the rest? And then he says in verse 27, Consider the lilies of how they grow, they toil uh, not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. So what's Jesus saying? You are valued more than the birds, and you are valued more than the grass in the field. Now I know the lizard lickers and the frog kissers and the tree huggers don't want you to think that you are valued more than the birds in the air and the grass of the field. But you are. You are loved by God, created by God for a special purpose. He loved you so much, he put his son on a cross for you. You are valued. So you are valued more than the birds, you're valued more than the grass, Jesus said, if, I can, if the Father can take care of them, he'll take care of you. Go to the next verse, verse 28. If then God so clothed the grass which is in the day and the field and tomorrow is cast into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O ye of little faith? Verse 29. And seek not ye what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, neither be ye doubtful of mine. For all these things do the nations of the world seek after, and your Father knoweth that ye have need of these things. Now listen to this one. But rather, seek ye the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you. Focus not on things that trouble your mind, things you can't change, things that may never happen. Instead, focus on seeking the kingdom. And when you do, when you do, your mind will be eased. Now listen to me. And Jesus said, I'll meet every need you've got. Folks, it don't get no better than that, does it? 
Don't allow worry to hinder your worship. Don't allow worry to hinder your work. Worry, don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. Everybody stand together this morning.